Evening, guys. It's good to see you. I love Riley's story about uh, appreciating hot water. Um, a few of you guys have gone to our missions trip to El Salvador. And uh, my very first year there, we go and actually live with a family in a local rural village of El Salvador. And this is about seven, eight years ago. It's our very first time there. And so we're kind of getting acclimated and like, what's happening? Like, you know, show us the different things. And the next morning comes like, all right, so where's the shower? And, and the family takes me over and like, you know, I don't speak Spanish hardly at all. Okay, I can like get my way around barely. And they point to like this like, you know, little curtain area. And behind there's like this trough of water. I'm like, no, where's the shower? And they're like, they kind of point there and this, this little pail. I'm like, no, no, shower. Like, I don't know how to say shower in Spanish. And they're like, I'm like, como? <laughs> and, and like, he shows me like you just scoop the cold water and pour it on yourself. I, we're having a language breakdown here. Like, no, hot water, you know, because I don't do cold showers, especially the pail. Like, who does that? And after a week of that, let me tell you, when you get back to a hot shower, you are so thankful for a hot shower. Yeah, water pressure too. Um, flushing toilets. Oh, praise Jesus for flushing toilets. <clears throat> praise Jesus for Pepto-Bismol. Amen on those names. And those two things together, let me tell you, when you don't have Pepto-Bismol nor flushing toilets, you are so happy to be back in America. So... Uh, anyways, that was really fun that you could share. So, the last epic life of 2016. So happy you guys are here. What I love about this time is that everyone begins to reevaluate their life. They begin to reevaluate where they are in life, what they want to do next year. They kind of do this like inventory and self-assessment. And so what I want to do tonight <clears throat> is to give you a little something to chew on for the holidays as you're thinking about yourself and where you are, and I want to plant a seed about your faith, and to ask the question of whether or not you are on the same page with God. Are you on the same page with God regarding your relationship with Him? And what I want to do tonight is bring forth some revelations of the Father's heart. We've been seeking out and studying really what it means to have a daddy-God relationship with the Father. Tonight, to leave tonight wondering whether or not you're on the same page as God regarding your relationship with Him. So let's go. Have you ever wondered, this is just maybe me, but when you hear people talk about their faith with God, it kind of sounds like a high school dating relationship with like lots of drama. I don't know about you, but like for me, like this day and age, and, and hearing about people's relationship with, with, their, with their heavenly father, they, they, things, they say things like, I just feel so distant. Um, like, he doesn't talk to me, right? Like, he doesn't like me anymore, which is really, a, we say that in other terms, like, this person's so gifted, and why are they so anointed? And it's basically saying, why doesn't God like me? You know, it sounds like this insecure high school dating relationship. And I don't know, I had a lot of drama high school dating relationships before, so it sounds very familiar to me. But I'm like, so many people's faith is so complicated. It's, just, it's ironic to me that we use these terms and they don't even seem awkward anymore. They don't seem unusual to say, I feel distant from God. I don't ever hear from him anymore. It's like, gosh, there's so much drama. But even similar to dating relationships, we also reference our relationship with God in a similar context of time. 
Let me tell you what that means is, is we use things like, yeah, I met Jesus 22 years ago in the you know, back of a club or something, or a friend introduced me to God five years ago, or perhaps we say, I met Jesus at this point in time in my life. And we create this contextual boundaries for our relationship with God, and we work our way about our faith from there. Usually our testimonies, they begin with saying, I met Jesus six years ago when XYZ happened. That's how we usually contextualize our relationship with God. And so what most people do is they reflect on their relationship with God from the standpoint of when they began relationship with God. But it's actually not really the beginning. People reference their relationship with God based on their beginning, but not God's. This is where I'm going. I don't know if you've ever considered that perhaps your assessment of your relationship with God is different than his assessment of his relationship with you. Now, I was in love with Camille for about a year before I think she even knew I existed. I think I was dating her for about six months prior to her thinking that we were dating too, which is even more exciting. And then, like, we kind of started, like, you know, hanging out more, and I'm thinking that we're dating, and then finally, like, I hear the three words that every male just longs to hear in the pursuit of his romantic relationship. I'll never forget it. It's like, I give up. No, eventually she did communicate the most important words that eventually led us to getting married, that she reciprocated my unending, undying love that I had for her far before she had it for me. But this dynamic, I mean, we're, we're not, I'm not like ratting on myself, I'm not like trying to talk down, but we have this like joke that I definitely loved her far earlier than me, like I was the pursuer, I had to like, she called herself the ice queen, because I had to kind of like warm her up, you know, like she was so icy but eventually wore her down. Uh, But this is exactly the dynamic in which God looks at you. Is that you are the the super hot person that God has been thinking about forever. When he thinks about you, he really has this like unending delight and pursuit of you. But you keep playing hard to to get. (laughs) But he has this, this mindset of you that he pursues you with and from. What am I getting at with this is that God's relationship with you actually predates your relationship with him. Now, this may not seem like that revelatory, but it's really, really important. We rarely consider how long and to what what extent God the Father has been in relationship with us. Because in our minds, we always reference it for when it began for us. But we rarely think about when it began for him. And when we think about when it begins with us, it's completely different to what it began with him. See, Scarlett recently, she's our firstborn, she's uh, five now. It wasn't too long ago that she sees a picture of, of my wife Camille pregnant, and she's like, what's that bump? You know, I was like, that's when mommy was pregnant. I was like, what's pregnant? It's like, that's when you were in mommy's tummy. <clears throat> this whole notion that, you know, another you know, that she was in mommy's tummy is like, whoa, like this is crazy. And, and also like her mind is like starting to go places like, I was in there and this, this notion that we actually wanted to have her and like, that she's like coming to grips of where she came from and it's a total trip. 
And so she's come into this realization that her mind is blown that we were thinking about her before she even really existed. Seeing this at a five-year-old age, it's really interesting. But the whole process of becoming a parent's a trip, right? Like when we were first pregnant, like all of a sudden, like nine months of your life is just consumed with like cribs and strollers and car seats and matching outfits. I mean, we had like outfits of what the baby's going to wear on the first day versus the second day versus the third day. And like you're reading every blog, you're paranoid of every scenario. And for nine months of your life, you are just consumed about this being that really doesn't even exist yet. You take a, a sonogram picture of basically a heartbeat and we record the heartbeat and we are consumed by this relationship that is one day going to be but this person that does not yet exist. It's this crazy dynamic. And in our second pregnancy with Maverick, Camille had a high-risk pregnancy, which basically means that like, her pregnancy and life was in danger. And even with this life that doesn't exist yet, suddenly we are just ravaged into this like, desperate need of God, would you preserve this life, this human being we have no relationship with yet. But the idea of this person, this little life that's still forming, not viable yet, Lord, you bring this life forward, that we are in relationship with something that isn't quite yet there. And you need to realize that this is the exact dynamic that God has and had with you, except on this epic proportion. That's what it is for us in the natural but in the eternal realms, for God the Father with you, it is on this crazy biblical scale. And the Bible actually tells us in Ephesians 1.4 that he chose you before the world began. You were in the mind of God before the world even existed. Now you're like, well, four years ago I went to Bible study. And that for you is where you begin the relationship. But for God, before there was a single grain of sand on the earth, he had you in mind. And when we begin to understand that truth, that he actually literally has loved you for an eternity already, it should blow your mind. That for an eternity, he was thinking of you. For an eternity, he was imagining you. That now you're here and that now he has a relationship he's seeking after for you, but this is the eternity that's been waiting to be at this moment now. And it just should, when we really grasp it, just completely baffle our minds. And here's the second thing that should blow you away about this is that if that's true, if God really was thinking of you before the world began, is that means that God has spent an eternity loving you, awaiting for the day that you love him in return. If God was thinking about you in the eternal realms before the world began, that means that God literally has waited an eternity for you to love him. That he loved you in his creation of you, in his mind of you, in his heart and adoration towards you, in the scene of you being formed, just like any loving parent or loving mother or father looking forward to the day that you arrive, and he's been loving you literally for an eternity, awaiting for the day that you love him in return. And he's pretty excited when it happens. The Bible actually says all of heaven rejoices when someone turns to God. All of heaven rejoices. Now, when Camille said she loved me, that I had one little personal experience just like that. Like, all of me was like, 
rejoicing, but this is on this epic heavenly scale. Can you imagine all of heaven rejoicing when you said yes to Jesus? They're like, I just went to the front for an altar call. We have no idea that eternity was waiting for that exact moment, and eternity celebrated when you said yes. And so we as parents, we get a small glimpse of this, actually, this dynamic of your children finally saying yes, finally exchanging, finally having this dynamic. And as parents, you get the experience of loving a child for a really long time before they can ever reciprocate it. As you have this child, and honestly, we don't do good with young children as babies. Like, whew. We produce babies that don't sleep, and we have a very low threshold and tolerance for non-sleeping children. And so it is like tough for us in the newborn phase and stage. Other people are like, oh, we love the little babies. Like, can we just like give birth to toddlers? It'd be so much better. And we'd probably have 20 children if Camille could just park out, you know, toddlers at like two years old. It'd be much better. But as a, as a parent, you get this purging, just like refining experience that you love your child for years before they can reciprocate love. It makes no sense when you really think about it that you as a parent, you, you loved them. You loved them when they were just pee on a stick, right? Like you were like so thrilled that they're coming, that they're actually going to have, and like you love them. You love the thought of them before they even were the pee on the stick. And then after, you're like, woo! You love them at the sonogram. You love them at the kick. You love them at every single stage. And then you love them at birth. And then you love them through all the baby stages. Now, here's the thing is that my son, who's now almost three, just in the past month, learned to say, I love you. And he only says it in response. He's just parroting or mimicking. He basically says, I you. So I love you, Maverick. I you. He has no idea what it means. He has no idea. Uh, I, I'm convinced, and I'm not trying to like talk down on children. I'm just saying like they're at a relational capacity in their infancy as children that I don't know if they really fully understand. Now, babies, they certainly need you. They're secure by you. Like, you're familiar to them. I'm not trying to say like babies are like, heck with this guy. Like, no, they definitely gravitate towards you, but there's this thing about your child actually coming into uh, an awareness of what love is and to say, I actually love you. My daughter, who's now five, it's probably only just a several months ago that unprovoked, because whenever she gets a gift, what do you say? Thank you. Tell Nana you love her. Love you, Nana. And like we do that. We're driving in the car. There's been no toys, no treats. It's been silent for 10 minutes. She's like, Daddy, I love you so much. And I like started to tear up like driving down the 50. I'm like, this is amazing. That unprovoked originated from her heart with her own freedom, and the thought occurred to her to express that she loves me. And developing this notion of love that suddenly she began to realize that love is something that I choose and it's something I give, and here's my daddy, and like, I love daddy. There's this like revelatory moment. It's like, oh my gosh. And in my heart, all of heaven celebrated that's the exact same dynamic that God experiences waiting for you to say yes to him, waiting for him to love him and reciprocate love to him. Now imagine that you have a child 
a son whom you love, a daughter whom you love, and imagine that that child that you adore and are begging for them to have a relationship with you never reciprocates love. Imagine a child you love with all your heart actually doesn't even want to speak to you. Imagine a child that isn't even sure that you exist. Imagine a child that doesn't even care if you are there or if you ever show up or ever talk to them, ever. Now that utter heartbreak is exactly what God experiences all the time with the lost. We understand Jesus weeping for Israel. We see Jesus' dynamic of seeing a, a generation, a group, a city resisting who he really is. And the Father's heart breaks that the time of his exchange with them in relationship, that they resist and they say no, and the Father's heart breaks. But here's the thing is that in this dynamic that God creates people who can say no to him reveals one crazy thing is that God is such a good daddy that he loves you without any guarantee that you will love him in return. God loves you and loves every person without any guarantee that you will ever love him in return. What does that mean that God created you with the freedom not to love him? There's something really profound here. What does it mean that God created all these people with the freedom and the authority and the power not to love God? It means that he created you to love you. He created you to love you, not so that you could love him. So you don't like hear people talking about like, you know, I'm feeling really insecure in my life. Like I have nobody who loves me, so I'm going to have children now so that they love me. <laughs> that would sound a little off. Like we didn't have kids so that we could have more people loving us. Like we had kids because we wanted to love them. And the same is with God with you, is that you were created so that God could love you and that he could have a relationship with you. There's something about us having children that we wanted to have a relationship form with another human being that was of our own. And that's the same exact dynamic that God has with you, but yet we are all kind of usually confused about why we exist. I mean, you like, you ask different people, why, why do we exist as Christians? And people say, well, like, we exist to, you know, love God. Now, God desires that we have a love relationship, but you weren't, you weren't created to love God necessarily. You were created to be loved by God. And the response to his love is that you love him. Other people say, well, we're created to worship. Well, you weren't created to worship either. About to ruffle some feathers, so hold on. Contrary to what many people believe, like you, you weren't created to worship God. Because if God created me to worship him, someone better put me in a box and send me back to the return department for being defective. I'm just being honest. Like, if I was created to worship, like, the quality assurance crew didn't, you know, do their job with me or something. Why? It's because I'm fickle. I'm like, oh, I don't know, like this song, I don't know, the light, like Derek knows that like I have issues with lights and worship, like it's too bright, turn them down, like, you know, oh, I really wanted like a Kim Walker song right now, you know, like I, the, the words aren't on the screen, I don't know what to do now, and heaven forbid worship goes too long, I'm all out of shape. Anybody, no one can sympathize, apparently. 
You guys are all scared because I'm reading your mail. You all know it. Is that worship experience, we're like, I don't feel like it. I don't know. Like, we raise our hand. Like, we, like, we overthink it. So, we, so <laughs> take that, right? I'm going to assume that there's two of you that also feel that way besides me. Meanwhile in heaven. Meanwhile in heaven, in Revelation 4, there are four living creatures that have six wings on them and eyes all over and inside and out. I have no idea how that works. No idea. I don't know how you have eyes all over, inside and out. But they are before the Lord, and day and night they cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. This is before God, worshiping him day and night. Four creatures, six wings, eyes everywhere, worshiping God nonstop. I don't know about you, but I can't compete with that. Like, these creatures aren't saying, like, oh, we really want some more Jesus culture music. You know, like, they're not, they're not considering worship or whether they feel or not. Like, these are creatures that are made to worship. What's the point is that when God creates things to worship him, they succeed in that purpose. Let me just say that again. If God created a being to worship him, that being would be successful in that mission. In other words, if there are people in the world and God created people to worship him and they're not worshiping him, then God kind of filled with that mission. Are you with me? You guys still look scared. All right. And so here's the thing is that if you, if you're not good at worship, because I know what it feels like to like not be good at worship. I still don't feel that way. It's like, I'm not very good at this. Don't stress out. Start with Relationship. Relationship. We freak out of like, are my hands doing the right thing? Are my, you know, my body positions the right thing? And like, am I swaying? Like, you like look at another, you're like, that guy's got it down. I don't know how to do that. You know, like we, we overthink worship so much. Like he's on the ground and that person's crying. I'm just like feeling normal. What do I do? <laughs> if you stink at worship, don't stress out. Start with relationship. Why? It's because worship is the consummation of a covenant relationship with God. We're trying to focus in on like doing worship well while not ever cultivating the relationship. When in fact, the relationship with God is what makes worship authentic. It's the consummation of that relationship. So if you're not feeling like you're doing too well with, with worship, don't stress out. It's because you're still learning how worship reflects your inward relationship. That's all. It's not like sing louder, stomp hands, clap, sway, cry, kneel. It's none of that stuff. It's that worship actually flows from relationship with God. It's not what creates it. You're not necessarily going to create a better relationship with God by being a better worshiper. You'll have a better performance, but your heart's going to remain unchanged. But when your heart's changed, like your worship can't, can't not be authentic. So why is worship meaningful to God in the first place? I'm going to try and redeem this a little bit. Why is worship, I'm not saying we should just get rid of all worship, but why is worship meaningful to God? If there are creatures with eyes and wings nonstop worshiping him all the time, it's because your worship comes from your freedom. What does that mean? It's that your worship to God is valuable because it's voluntary. 
What makes your worship meaningful to God is not that you do it, not that you sing, not that you clap, not that you participate. It's actually the most meaningful thing to God in worship is that, that you're doing it because it's voluntary. It was your choice. God doesn't want to control you, mandate you that you worship him. He wants it actually to be an exchange, a reflection of relationship that you freely and voluntarily give. I shouldn't have to have like this reminder, like tell my wife that I love her all the time. Oh, it's so hard to tell you I love you. I tell her I love her because it's a reflection of our relationship. Because you can say the words and have them mean nothing. The relationship is what makes it something. So what's the bottom line to, to these things is this is that relationship with you is really the only thing that matters to God. Relationship with you is the only thing that matters to God. And God has been seeking that relationship exchange with you literally from eternity. Awaiting for this time with you. You're like, I just got saved not too long ago. It's cool. And God is like, I've been waiting literally eternity for this time with you. Relationship's the only thing that matters. And he's been seeking this time in your life literally forever. So if God has been in relationship with you before the foundation of the earth, then this means one crazy, crazy thing. You ready? If you don't get anything else tonight, get this. Is if these things are true, and they are true, it means that God has been talking to you longer than you've been able to understand. Let that sink in for a second. God has been talking to you longer than you've been able to understand. What does this basically infer mean? It means that God has always and is always talking to you. The number one thing I hear from people trying to build spiritual formation in their life is like, I want to hear the voice of God. I'm like, yes. You don't dream of somebody for eternity and have them come and then just like, oh, I'm going to play a little silent. Like, God's not playing any silent games with any of his children. Like, again, it's the high school dating relationship. Like, when people talk about God isn't talking, it's like, is he giving you this silent treatment or something? Like, I don't understand this. But we understand that God's single desire is relationship with you. And it's been that desire since the foundation of the world. It means that he's always been talking to you. And learning to hear God's voice has this misconception that it's actually this new thing that begins to happen, which is completely bunk. Because it presumes that God wasn't talking before, which isn't the truth. You need to understand that God has always been talking to you, but just now you're learning to listen for it and tune into it. Don't participate in the lie that God doesn't talk to you. You're just trying to figure out when he is and what he's saying. Because God doesn't have a speaking problem. We all all have a listening and comprehension problem. Are you with me? Is this thing on? God does not have a speaking problem with you. Amen? We all have a listening and comprehension problem. And just because you don't listen nor understand doesn't mean that God stops talking to you. You see, fathers understand this. 
It's like one of these core elementary principles. How messed up would it be for you to have a son or daughter that's an infant like, well, I'm not going to talk to that because that thing doesn't understand what I'm going to say. A child understanding you is not a prerequisite for you talking to it. Are you guys still with me? That God loves us so much and he's talking to us so deeply and intimately for all eternity, waiting for this time, that he knows that a father does not wait to talk. He does not wait for his children to understand what he's saying in order to talk. And the very first accomplishment that a child has in recognizing relationship is recognizing the father's voice. The very first accomplishment any newborn has is to develop a recognition of who mom and dad is by their voice. Now, an infant's not trying to like, oh, what do they mean by that? This is really interesting. I should get a dictionary. Like, an infant isn't concerned at all by interpreting what's being said. And a parent is like, not like, you know, trying to stress out getting an infant to understand what's happening here. There's this recognition that that as a father, you begin to speak despite the child not understanding in hopes that the child begins to recognize when daddy is talking with eventual hopes that someday the child will understand what I'm saying. If you're not in a position where you're like, I hear from God, you're in a position where actually God is speaking to you just like a father speaks to his infant child waiting for the day that not only the child understands when daddy's talking but what daddy is saying. So don't try and focus in on what is God saying? Like, God doesn't speak in Da Vinci code. He's not, like, sending down, like, Morse code, and like, here, why don't you translate this into another language for me? He is speaking to you in ways that you will understand. But what we do is we try to focus in on what is he saying instead of when is he talking? If you're having a really hard time trying to hear what God is saying, maybe you should actually tune into First, when is God speaking? Because how can you know what God is saying if you can't decipher when he is speaking? And a lot of people think that they have a problem in not knowing what God is saying, but that's not the problem. You actually have a problem of knowing when he is talking. And when you know when God is talking, then you can begin to learn what he is saying. But we believe the lie backwards. We, we take the outcome and say, I don't hear from God, and so therefore, God doesn't speak. It is crazy how many prominent theologians, how many modern Christian movements who stand on the, the principle that God doesn't speak. How is that possible? How do we say he's a good father but doesn't talk to his children? Those two things don't make sense to me. Like, Good father 101 is like, you talk to your children. Doesn't seem that hard, but our theology embraces this notion that God doesn't speak to his kids. And just because you don't experience it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Because you can have just enough information to draw the wrong conclusion. That's the tricky thing in faith is that we can have just enough information to get it wrong. Now kids, oh, we're just like kids in this regard, but kids, I know I talk about kids a lot tonight, uh, but they become experts in everything. 
My daughter, we decided to take her ice skating this past weekend. She's never been ice skating before. She's seen it a few times on the iPad with Peppa Pig. And she's beginning to instruct us on how ice skating works. And we're like, you've never had skates in your shoes. <laughs> like, this is going to be interesting. But kids are experts in every topic, and they say things that they really have no idea about. But they're opinionated, and they're certain about what's going to happen. We're the same way in religion and faith. But Scarlett, for the longest, I think she still thinks this, possibly, is that she, you know, after the whole, like, babies are in mommy's tummies, and we're trying to explain, like, well, how do they get out? And, like, we're trying to do that. So she has just enough information to draw the wrong conclusion that you poop out babies. So one day, we're sitting on the potty. She's like, wait, but what if I have a baby and they're going to go in the toilet and caca gets on them? And she like had like this major epiphany of this big challenge. She was so stressed out about one day she's going to have a baby that's going to get poop on it. And she like did not know what to do and really stressed out about it. Again, enough information to draw the wrong conclusion. Never say God doesn't speak to you. You're taking enough information and you're drawing the wrong conclusion. It's a lie, especially when you really understand that he's been pursuing this for all of eternity, that he is a good father, that all he wants is relationship with you. And here's the present, here's the image I want to leave for you for Christmas is that you have a heavenly father that has literally been pursuing you for this day. For this time of your life, if you are hearing my voice, God has been awaiting all of eternity to cultivate relationship with you on a level that is far beyond what you expect. God didn't come just to save you from hell. Like, there's so many fire insurance Christians, it's such a letdown. It's like, that is the after effect of having a vibrant, amazing relationship with God. Hell doesn't even matter once you have a relationship with the king. We have so many people that are running from something, but never running to God. You can make a crowd of people run from hell, but you will never draw them to the heart of the Father. Only when you tap into the notion that this time of your life is designed, this is what God and all of heaven has been waiting for, is that you would not only say yes to him, but you would also say yes to his voice and begin to engage in dialogue in what he's been trying to say to you forever to have that exchange with you in relationship. That God doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your attendance. He doesn't even want your good behavior. All he wants legitimately is your heart. But to truly live that result, you have to be able to hear him. And the beginning to hear him starts with being able to recognize that he's always talking. Always talking. And to be aware of when that's taking place in your life. And he loves you so much. And he's loved you before you loved him. He's been waiting for this time to take your relationship that he sees that he has designed for you to the place that matches what he thought of you. See, we have an idea, a picture of our relationship with God, and we put in all these different boxes. I submit to you that your idea of relationship with God is far inferior and far smaller than God's idea of relationship with you. That you may be on totally different pages 
with God in terms of your relationship with him. And the question is, as we look towards the end of the years, like, when will your transformation come? You might be like, amen, bro, this is awesome. And others, you're like, this is kind of ringing my bell. And the question is, when is it going to be time? If not today, that's okay. Think about it like our son, who should have been potty trained a long time ago, is still not potty trained. It's like, all right, son, put on those diapers and go in your diaper for as long as you want. As long as you want. The potty's right there, but as long as you want. I'm going to keep asking every single day. Do you want to go pee-pee on the potty? Do you want to go cock on the potty? Like every single day. He's doing one out of the two now, which is great, but he's still not doing number two yet. More information than you want to know, I know. But I'm waiting for when it's his choice. I'm waiting for him to say, I'm ready. And like a good father for your relationship with him, I know I'm drawing a parallel of poop and relationship with God. I realize that's awkward right now. But he, in the very same way, is looking to you and saying, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, I'm going to keep bothering you. I'm going to keep knocking on your heart. I'm going to keep inviting you into this relationship. I'm going to keep inviting you into my voice until whenever you're ready so that we can finally be on the same page. I love you guys. So every time I hear a sermon, I'm always like, so what difference does that make? And if you'll just begin to ask Holy Spirit, what difference does that make? It's learning to hear his voice. And all the times when you need help, you need direction, Christmas time, you're sitting there and your idea of what Christmas is going to be is actually not what's happening. It doesn't have to ruin your day. Because you have a dad in heaven who's totally interested in you having a great Christmas. And the only thing that can mess that up is you not being connected to him. I've been making some determinations lately that that connection comes before every connection. So if I start feeling confused, if I start feeling unhappy, I start feeling down. I'm like, hold up. Whose voice is louder than my dad's? Because whoever you, you are, you need to shut up and sit down. I just encourage you over the next couple of weeks, because my heart always goes out to everybody during this season, because for many years, this is a miserable season for me. I always thought everybody had a close family. And everybody gets all these awesome gifts. And mine never quite measured up. And the truth of the matter is, it ain't about everybody else. It's not about the present. It's just being present with your Heavenly Father. And everything else is gravy after that. And if you learn to make that your major gift, then if you don't get anything else, you have a great day. Nobody can mess up your day unless you let them. So I'm going to pray over you tonight. 
just that you'll, um, well, you'll figure it out. God, I thank you for every precious person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, for this season. It's the season that we celebrate your birth. And ironically, it's the season that we get really crazy in our heads because we're not thinking about that. I just break the power of expectations. I break the power of memories. All the things that we look to to tell us that we're significant. I thank you, Lord, because we're significant because of what your word says, and that's where it starts. And anything that leads our mind down a different direction is not truth. So I just, as a father in the kingdom, I just speak blessing over you tonight. I call your spirits fully forward to interact with Daddy God, to hear him, to listen, to hear his voice, to feel his love for you, to interact with him on a level that you've never known before. That you begin to hear him louder than your thoughts louder than all that introspective analysis we love to look at our world with. I break the power over that tonight in your life. And I just speak a tsunami flood of love that supersedes everything else going on in your precious head. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.